0: Welcome to Imagine This Podcast,
1: a conversation show where we talk to Milwaukee's arts, cultural and creative leaders to highlight all of the incredible transformative work in our region.
2: We hope that after listening to the pod, you will see our region and all the awesome artists, arts organizations and creative assets in Milwaukee in a new way.
0: I'm David Lee.
2: I'm MacArthur Antigua. And I'm Lindsay Sheridan. Hi,
1: everybody. It's another episode of Imagine This Podcast. Uh welcome aboard as we chug along in season four. As uh the, the beautiful little green sprouts struggle to to push through the ground and on the trees. I swear it's spring somewhere.
2: It's just mm. not here in Milwaukee. But not here.
1: And uh just letting letting folks know, uh COVID has come to the podcast and uh Lindsay is thankfully That's on the right. other mm-hmm. side of it.
2: That's right. It's me, but I'm feeling okay. That's right. And oh. I'm in good good COVID company this week, you know, with uh, the vice president and uh, Stephen Colbert. <laughs> in good COVID company, <laughs> and- that
1: feels like an app, like you know how it tells you on on Facebook, like today's the birthdays, birthdays this time in history, and in COVID company. Who has COVID right? <laughs> Who now? Who has COVID right now? <laughs> that would you be good. Like start Move like forward. a text
0: chain of like what you guys are watching on Netflix, right?
1: Yeah. Like that's that that's yeah, what you exactly do. yeah. In yeah. Good COVID company brought to you by Eli Lilly. The good people at Eli Lilly. in good COVID <laughs> Well, anyways, we're glad you, you, you see me getting back to good. And I know you, you, you prefer extroversion and look forward to being outside breaking out of the quarantine. Mm-hmm. So have you been outside like with t- a tightly fit, fitted mask or
0: have you just been at home? Trying to, like, I've gone on a couple
2: walks. walks. Um, technically the guidelines just say you just put the mask on as you pass someone, but I've kind of been keeping it on mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a few walks, but I miss places. It's like the, it's like the beginning of a uh, lockdown. <laughs> uh, we had, had been getting so used to going places and seeing people, but soon enough, it, you soon perform enough.
1: with uh, performing ensembles, uh, choirs, and whatnot. So you you you've had to be like you're on the dis- you're on the injured list. You but, the the health list. and safety protocols. You're in the haf- you're on the health and safety part, right? You're not allowed. That's
2: to right. That's to- right. I'm uh, causing causing mask wearing and testing to come back across the land. <laughs> <in> my multiple. <laughs> I have multiple ensembles there. All
1: all your ensembles are all in these lines and they're holding holding their urine in cups. And you're like, why are we doing this again? Because Lindsay made us because she
3: got COVID. And they're
1: like, why are we doing a urine test? And it's like, I don't know. I thought that's what you do is urine
3: Well, test. I don't think it's it, you,
0: Lindsay. I think it was somebody else in one of your, in one of your performing groups.
3: Oh, well, it's
2: partly me. It's partly me. I'm well, in I few,
0: mean, of course you yeah. were a vector of it, but, but like yes. you were not the originator. You weren't the patient zero. You weren't the, the original. I don't mentors, think like, so.
2: I don't no. think so. It's hard to tell though. Right. It's hard to tell in this time where, you know, mm. uh, you might, I last week I had at least two people that I no, I interacted with, that had COVID Mm. and I had COVID. So who gave it to each other? You know, who knows really, but. Well, you would have been
0: our patient zero though if
1: if the rest of us got COVID probably. Thank God it didn't happen.
2: (laughs) You're you're welcome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did I say that out loud? That was just, was in my mind. Well,
2: we did gather, but it was outside. So, was listeners, outside. if you learned outside. anything, keep those gatherings outside. Keep the gatherings outside. We finally, I did. I got, got
0: really weather. nervous because I touched all of those those COVID bean bags that we were throwing back and forth when we when we did our Thursday. Window. COVID bean <laughs> yeah, we bag. Yeah, COVID is an airborne illness, David. Yeah, COVID is airborne. But we were on the same team, and we were like, you know,
1: we were touching the same bean bags.
2: Well, yeah. it worked out okay. David
1: does have a habit of licking the bean bags before he throws <laughs> them, so it, that I can understand why you're super. So if
2: he had COVID, yeah, that's right.
1: That's right. All right. Well, later <laughs> coming up on today's pod after the COVID update, which, thank God, good news uh, for now. Coming up a little bit later today, we're going to have Ron Garnett, uh, who is uh, a researcher as well as a, what he likes to call uh, UX, right? UX designer, mm-hmm. uh, which is themed around belonging, I, namely around inclusion and inequity diversity so we'll have him after the break but before we get to him and based on that theme uh this notion of belonging and spaces and so let's do a quick round whip around story share uh tell us about a time where you were into a new space and you sort of either uh experienced how they tried to include you right or or what, what did they do to create a sense of belonging and what ultimately supported you in fostering a sense of connectedness belonging so you know it doesn't have to be uh obviously we've all sort of had a shared experiences of going to college or moving away from home and, and being away from our usual. So let's tap into that. So a story share about belonging. I'll start since I came up with the question. Mm. Uh, I'll, I, I kind of go back to campus and I think about um, when, I, when I went to Northwestern, uh, they would offer these programming for new students before all the students came on campus. So I decided to to pursue it and I did the one around community service. Uh, And so we actually lived for a week on campus and every day we would do a different service project every day. And so what that allowed me to feel is actually a connection to the community I'd later be living in, right? And I would actually later take a job as work study in organizing service projects. So that actually gave me a running start to learn more about these organizations and and learn that, but also meeting other like-minded folk did that and and actually a few of them i'm still friends with with today like these were literally the first people i met in this new environment and so i, I felt really fortunate now there are other ones themed on like mountain biking you know like there are other interests like it just happened to be this one happened to be around service and uh and what was kind of neat was that students organized it every year so like the upcoming years after i would actually help organize it and bring in freshmen uh as well and one of the freshmen neat arts and culture story we came in the following year was luke Matheny. And Luke Matheny is known as the guy that accepted an Oscar. He had like a big old, like he did this lovely talk. He won an Oscar for, Thank God of love. It was like short feature. He had like a big, big hair. And it was just an incredibly uh, beautiful speech about it. Like it, like everyone remembered that speech. Like they never saw the movie, but they remember him. Yeah. Anyway, he was in that same program. Mm. And so I don't know. I just felt this kinship. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, you want to ask her. I didn't know you were that great. But uh, anyway, so- that, these are the mm-hmm. stories I'm thinking about and felt fortunate. And again, at a place like, like most college campuses, it's not, it can be really hard to find a connection, find a space that you belong. And so I was, I was really, I felt really fortunate that they set that up for me. So that's, that's one story.
2: Mm. That think I'm thinking about the role of ritual in mm-hmm. cultivating a sense of belonging, uh, thinking about a workplace that I was in where, uh, when my boss got there. Uh, there was some existing staff and, and she was told, all right, something we do here is that we all have lunch together every day. We sit around the conference table and we eat lunch. And I, and I know my boss's reaction was like, okay, <laughs> like, why are you, why are we so insistent on this fact that we eat lunch together every day? You know, to, cause to her, she had been in a larger systems. This was a relatively small office, you know, five or six people. And, uh, she hadn't had that same experience and found it to be like a little prescriptive to say, no, you have to, are you, are you going to leave your office now, boss? Like we're having lunch now. Um, And so, but she, she went along with it and kept the ritual. Like even as the team changed, it became, it became a thing. All right, everyone, you know, how are you doing? You're going to take a break from your work. Let's have lunch. I do think that having that informal time where everyone was kind of forced to take a shared break, cultivated a sense of closeness that then Bled into other things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you got started talking about something that you uh, uh, wanted to work on together. Maybe you, you know, you learned things about what people had been up to over the weekend, like. And then, as new people cycled onto the team, then if you maintain that ritual, it was an easy way for people to just feel like they're part of the part of the pack. Um, mm. That's just kind of a small example, but and and we do lots of rituals like that here, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I think allows us to welcome new folks in pretty smoothly. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's something that's on my mind. How about you, David?
0: You know, I'm sort of thinking about the, um, the, the first, um, the first few days at college, um, and sort of thinking about the things that, that my college did to welcome me or to make me feel belonged or belonging in that system, which for, for me as like a, you know 1.5 generation immigrant here, um, having grown up in San Francisco and then sort of just landing in, in a place like Vassar, it was a little bit weird, right? Like a lot of white folks in kind of like rural, um, rural New York, um, not rural New York, it's 70 miles north of New York City, it's not super, it's not that far, but it was, it was a different environment, right? And so, sort of thinking about like they, they knew I was Chinese, and so I had like, I think, a note in my mailbox saying that there was in the first week of school that there was like a, like a written an and an Asian students Alliance kind of like get together. Um, and that I should go, this is before email, right? Like Carrie gets the paper it, in, your, yeah, in your mailbox, literally. <laughs> and it, it, it seems so, it seems so on the one hand, like I think I had this feeling of like, I should do this because this is these are my people or th- this is my tribe, and yet it also felt a little bit off-putting in this at the same time, right? It just felt weird, and, and I think you know our guest coming up, uh, Dr. Rowan Garnett, comes from the world of of uh, of higher education and, and admissions and working with 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 kids who were like me in um, helping them feel included in 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 college situations like that and it just like it's got to be really tough right because i I don't know how you kind of reform an institution to welcome kids who just have no Mm. context for it right the only way you can do it is to sort of funnel them into into affinity groups such as by race or by you know, college status, first first time in your first time college you yeah, know, all that stuff, right? And it just seems like an impossible task. I don't mm-hmm. know how 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 that. I don't know how he do it, right? It just feels really difficult.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, you know, in that group of kids at that at that you know at that uh, freshman get together, Asian get together, I was the one who was terrible at math, right? And so like. It was so you didn't belong at all. I didn't, like, belong at all. Didn't, right. didn't belong at all nowhere. That's right. You didn't belong. That's right. Everybody but, was like, you know, chemistry majors and, and biology majors and 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 here I am like
2: theater major.
0: Smoking theater clothes. Major. Yeah.
1: smoking clothes and asking yeah, who, right. who saw that rain? Vim that's right. Vim vendors movie. Did you see that Vim Vendors flick? Mm. Let's talk about it. Well I, I think I think the arts Right, and culture play a huge role in the ability to to serve as a way of welcoming for folks in, in a place, um, and I know that's our work at Imagine, is making sure that uh, those feel not centered, get to feel centered, um, and looking forward after the break to talk to Dr. Rowan Garnett about his work uh, in different capacities and doing that. Most recently, he was the uh, Director of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, Accessibility at the Milwaukee Public Museum. Prior to that, he was the Principal and Consultant for YXM Consulting, a research-based and higher education focused consultancy firm. His background's in higher ed and previously served as the College Admissions Evaluator and Research Consultant at Bowdoin College in Maine. He personally would say, quote, I tell people I'm a Caribbean kid who made my way into Maine to do undergrad. So after the break, we get to learn more about Dr. G. All right, we are now joined by our our lovely guest, Rowan Garnett. Rowan, welcome to the the virtual space. Um, We're so glad you could join us uh, and have a, a powerful conversation today. In some ways, we've had a powerful conversation already. We're all yeah. giggling because we did some pre-work on this. So, and I was like, wow, this is going to be a fun one. So so the listeners have not,
0: we're not privy to the first 30 minutes of this conversation. And now we're just popping in right now. So so Rowan, you, you, I have strong belief that that we'll be able to get back to, to the level of conversation yeah. in the warm-up yeah. room. So yeah. welcome yeah. and thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, um,
1: well, I appreciate you guys for actually having me. <laughs> we always start this with everybody because uh, I think it's such a—I'm fascinated in origin stories. We'd love to know for you, uh, Rowan, what is a story of an arts and cultural experience that left a strong imprint on you? Um, it could be from your formative years. It could be recently, because I know I know you just put in some Netflix work lately, so That's it might be recently. No. Uh, so I, I, tell us about, about what's, Tell us about
3: an arts and cultural experience. I, I love that question. So I, if you guys don't mind, I, I'll, yeah. I've, I've said this before where what I, when I met David initially, what I quickly realized was that I'd already met Mac. Uh, <laughs> but I hadn't, I hadn't realized that until I like, had such a great conversation with David that I was like, let me go look up this uh, Imagine MKE thing. I suddenly go look up uh, Imagine MKE and I see Mac, I see your grill um, right there on, on the web- website. And I remember telling him, I was like, man, I I sort of like sat in the audience and witnessed Mac, uh, <laughs> and just incredibly energetic. I just I was like, this guy should be like a hype man. <laughs> like That's a, why we hired That's Mac. Right. I yeah, needed you know? a hype
0: man, essentially. Just on the side,
1: I come in once in a while, I, a couple <laughs> words, I emphasize, and then I step off to the side, and then I. Yeah. yeah.
3: So I said that to say that um, we we both went through I Corps at uh, UWM. Yeah. And when I when I when I went to one of the things that I actually did was um, I'd written a poetry oh. that essentially told my story
1: yeah.
3: um, for why I was doing um, the work that I was doing, which extended yeah. from my dissertation, but really extended from my full-on experience. And so, if you'd allow me, I'd love to share that that poem. Wow! Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Yeah. Hold on, bro. Yeah. This is a first. Okay. We've we've done
1: a hundred of these episodes. People have told the story but nobody's performed the story. So I just, listeners at home, um, remember where you were on this day. You heard it, you, this is pod history.
3: Ron Garnett, the floor is yours. I appreciate you. So I, I entitled this poem, um, Experiencing College Choice. Mm. I sometimes wonder how I navigated my way into and through post-secondary education. After completing the ninth grade in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I enrolled at a public high school in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. Sophomore year, my 14-year-old longtime schoolmate, Shaibo, fatally stabbed Lamar, 18, during a school fight. Shaibo and I were both aspiring student athletes, dreaming of playing college and professional ball. Shaibo might have received a scholarship were it not for the fight. Instead, he was charged with first-degree murder and incarcerated at a youth prison. Walking home alone from Lamar's on-campus memorial service, I felt the weight of my circumstances. Lamar had often conscientiously captured these feelings in poetry. Poems chanted into captivating spoken words was his musical artistry. His pedagogy continuously schooling about our culture belonging to history reveals systemic trappings that so many marginalized youth are predisposed and forced into taking They slip and fall into the only visible choices. I could refuse that supposed inevitability and begin the hard work that would come from that refusal in pursuit of that ever elusive American dream of economic independence. I aspire in my hardest street to tell the history of untold narratives that dubbed me Dr. G. Mm. Mm.
1: Marone, hmm. you wrote that for the innovation core experience, you delivered, I mean, you wrote it just for that experience, right? Is that, or has that always been, with you? that story is, you know, it just, I mean, it
3: hadn't been written in poetry. So yeah. What, what, yeah. What, what, what it was, was, um, I, when I applied to graduate school, I, I'd, I'd included, I'd actually started my application by sort of framing it in that story, like yeah. to understand my purpose, um, and my reason Mm -hmm. for pursuing graduate studies, a lot of that was grounded in my personal experience. And so Mm -hmm. I'd written this or a version of this a time ago. And when I um, was preparing my presentation Mm -hmm. um, for this work, in fact, I'd interacted with a young man from UWM because I was invited to be as part of a panel. Mm -hmm. And so he followed up and part of that was asking me, about my story, and in the moment, yeah. I was like, you know what? And so I took some 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 old words, and I just actually put it into a um, poetry, and yeah. and that's what you know that's mm-hmm. what came came out of it. And I I've, I've shared this with with a few people, man. Maybe maybe a handful, and folks are like, that story needs to get out. And so <laughs> in coming into this space, talking about imagining an MKE, I thought, what better way to actually set the tone mm. uh, than to sort of let people know, um, you know, the reason why I, you know, do yeah. the work that that I do and that we're gonna have a conversation about. And in fact, I um, David, when I first met Megan at X Fabula,
2: yeah.
3: mm. I I think I was under the impression, I think when I looked it up, that it was probably a spoken word kind of environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in my email to her, I actually included that 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 poem. Mm. So this so Megan was actually part of the group of folks that I was going to interview. She she ended yeah. up on, on a list of folks. And so when I reached out, um, Megan said to me, well, you know, Rowan, uh, I think we got on the phone like later that evening. It, it was like a, a Wednesday. And she was like, you know, uh, we have an event tomorrow. It's not a <laughs> spoken word. It's storytelling. But you're invited to come. I'll leave your ticket at the front. You can come and just sit in the audience and experience it that way. Or you can come and share. Yeah. And so I actually went in And I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, no, I'm just going to sit here. And Megan actually got up Mm. and shared a story about an experience she had um, in her, uh, one of her board meetings where the the N-word was actually said. And she just thought like, you know, I think there's a way in in retrospect, we could have probably handled that um, better. And I shared that to say, I then got up and I shared and I shared because I was like, wow. She's so brave. She's so courageous mm. to mm. actually get up in a space and do that. And for like forever, I want to be I want to be affiliated with ex Fabia. I want to be affiliated with it, Megan. I just thought that was so <laughs> that's so amazing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's like that. That story was told mm. in, in, in that space um, in a sort of different way. Yeah. But I have to tell you that, like, I swear to God, like almost everyone in the space made it their business to come say hello to me afterwards. Mm. And I, I mm, thought yeah. that for me, that was incredibly yeah. touching. It was incredibly mm. sort of like welcoming um, yeah. to Milwaukee because I hadn't been here that yeah. long. Nice. So,
0: so nah. I have to, I have nah. to say that, that as a soon to be former member of the board of Ex fabula that incident that you just mentioned about the the guy saying the n word was not in a board meeting. It was uh. it was in a it was in an event. A, a, a teller had sort of told a story and 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 used the, the the word in in a way that I think was I was there. It was incredibly shocking. And and as a obviously, I think for staff, I think they were also shocked and didn't know what to do. And as a board member, I was also like, what do you do? And I think that has led to um, some new thinking and some new policies of, of what the organization is going to do to ensure that if that word is used, what people are going to do in order to kind of resolve or not, or just sort of like bring it up, right. As opposed to just kind of like letting it go,
1: Mm. Mm.
0: which I think shows their, the, the, the organization's commitment to Mm -hmm. not only creating a safe space for everybody, Mm. but also ensuring that, that, that Mm.
3: if everybody can be there, sometimes everything can happen. And and what do you, and that's what I love. That's what Megan, essentially Megan in her story was like, I think people were so taken aback in yeah. the moment yeah. that no one really addressed it. And I, 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 I this, is, this yeah. is my own observation that, yeah. that I think Megan had might have been sitting with this thing and here was a moment for her to actually speak maybe publicly about it. And I just, yeah. and I tell people all the time, I think that's really the way to, to, to do these things, right? Like yeah. these things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, and we just have to actually, we don't, we, don't hide them, don't hide them, just sort of get them out there. Um, because I think things happen and I think there, there are people in spaces who care tremendously about, um, you know, the, the work of like inclusion and, and, and belonging. And, and then these things happen and suddenly it's just, it creates this like isolating experience, like, and no one actually is uh, willing to speak to it. Like, that's her organization. So that Mm -hmm. she sort of stepped in and actually said, hey, this thing happened. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know what to do um, at the time. But having time to reflect now, like, it was like, this is the moment for me to actually come and say, you know, and it was almost like for me, it was for for me, it was like, she was like calling, um, not even just like white people, but like to just call all of us Mm -hmm. to the table Mm -hmm. to to be wise about um, how we deal with these sort of things. So Mm. um, that was like, that was one of my welcoming to uh, Milwaukee (laughs) and talking (laughs) about like, you know, being surprised by, um, you know, folks who I think just really care deeply um, about making sure that our voices are heard and make sure Mm. we call out the nonsense that we see in the world. Yeah. So you so you've been you've been around. <laughs> how do you how do you get
0: from Tulsa to St. Croix to Maine to Seattle to Milwaukee?
3: Like what what is that journey? Like <laughs> man, so I like and I appreciate that. So maybe like unpack that that poem even. Yeah, so I yeah. I um like, even my deepest roots or action, I, I always say to folks, like, we don't call ourselves poor. We just say we, we come from humble beginnings. And my humble <laughs> beginnings, you know what I mean, came from, like, even, uh, you know, St. Kitts. And so, uh-huh. like, I have, like, from a, a former British colony and yeah. then was raised um, in St. Thomas, which is a U.S. Uh-huh. Virgin Islands, in many uh-huh. ways, which is a, um, you know, a, 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 a U.S. colony, a U.S. territory, yeah. just to be very sort of frank about yeah. it. Yeah. But... When I, was, um, when I was in junior high school, you know, I was a pretty, pretty good student. I think I graduated from my middle school, and I had, like, a 96 GPA average. I think I was, like, yeah. fourth in the class. And I wow. was, like, I think I played basketball. Might have been, like, the starting point guard. Yeah. And my aunt, I used to go to Florida to visit an aunt of mine, and she was, like, you know, Rowan. Um, in fact, I think she said it to my dad. was, like, I think if we actually move him off the island and bring him here to, mm. you know, the mainland, which was at the time Miami... Um, you know, I think he can create some opportunities for, for himself. So I go off to, you know, the the short of it is I go off to, to Miami, but my aunt then moved to Oklahoma. Wow. And so I, I, I lived out in Oklahoma. I started, I started my ninth grade year out there and then my aunt moved back to Florida, but because I was already enrolled, it just made sense for me to stay there. Wow! And then after that year, Mm. it was like, well, it was time to actually sort of go back, go back home. So I went back to St. Thomas Mm. and uh, and I described in that poem, that's, that's the sophomore year when that, that, that incident mm. um, happened. And in the moment, I didn't realize it, but I was you know, incredibly traumatized by it. I just yeah. always remembered being a kid and being like, man, I just want to sort of get out of here and change my situation. And so my senior year, my high school basketball coach, it wasn't my college counselor either, too. So mm. this is going to all tie into some of the, I think, some of yeah. the later conversations mm. we're going to have. Yeah. But my high school basketball coach was like, hey, Rowan, a few guys before you had gone off and played ball at this college um, in, in Standish, Maine, uh, St. Joe's <laughs> College, a small Catholic college. At the time, it was like 800 students. And I was wow. like, well, I don't know where Maine is, but I want to go to college. <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, right. So <laughs> I, like, I leave the island and head off to, wow. to Standish, um, Maine. And one of the things that I think um, it's not well done mm. is that we don't really do a good job or institutions don't really do a good job of articulating the financial aid package that they're offering students. And so mm-hmm. it's oftentimes framed in this way, like everything is going to get sort of taken care of. And in, in my case, I had a, you know, the sort of the family expected contribution. Mm-hmm. And, but, there, you know, there was, I think at the time it was like $5,000, $7,000. And I didn't have anyone in my family who could really mm-hmm. can, could do that. So I, I actually left St. Joe's and decided to actually live in Portland, Maine. And so I, I I, got an apartment this first time. I got an apartment with some guys who had gone to uh, to St. Joe's and I'd worked for a bit while I was. actually. So this is, up. I'm
0: sorry, Roy, just to, just to clarify, you had, you had already got to Standish and then had to, and then realize that this was probably not going to work out for you
3: financially. That's right. Yeah. In wow. fact, okay. in yeah. fact, I'd gotten a letter. I think it was like, it might've been somewhere in the second semester telling me that if I didn't pay that outstanding balance, that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to return to um, the college. And in fact, the only other student in my freshman class that year also played basketball. Uh, Only other black student, African-American student was from Roxbury, Massachusetts, my man, Will Harvey. Um, (laughs) And so both of us left, left that year. Like both of us never actually returned because we couldn't actually afford the, the expected family contribution, uh, the short of it is that like I eventually went back and enrolled at the University of Southern Maine um, and I became a, um, a what, what I mean, what you call it, a commuter student. Yeah. And so I was working essentially full time and, and going to school, sometimes part time, sometimes um, uh, Full time. The part of it was that when I first started to try to enroll at the University of Southern Maine. They had said to me that the only way for me to get financial aid was for me to show my parents' tax returns, and I was like, "Well, I'm trying to tell you that I'm the only person supporting myself. I don't mm-hmm. have, I don't have that. I don't have that support." And they said, "Well, unless you could, uh, you could um, prove that you're an award of the state, what? you you can't get financial aid independently." And so I essentially waited until, like, I think I was at the time maybe like 19. And at the time, to be considered a, an independent student, um, you had to be 23. So I waited until I was 23 years old. I worked, like, a few part-time jobs at the Home Depot, linens and things, Burlington Co. Factory. Wow. At, at one point, I was working, like, 70 hours a week just to, wow. like, pay my rent, and start. I started to pay on uh, on my student, uh, student loans. So essentially, I, I graduated from college, my undergrad, eight years after I actually first enrolled in college. Wow. Right? Wow. But I really wanted to do this. And then yeah. I started to work... Um, I eventually started to work at Bowdoin College in Standish, Maine, and Bowdoin is one of those sort of, uh, you know, I guess what would we would call elite institution, what I would call one of those very incredibly well-resourced res- institutions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. in my time at Bowdoin, <laughs> That's what uh, saying and, and, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> David, we talked about this where, like, yeah. <laughs> like, suddenly I realized that the vast majority of students of color and first-generation and low-income students who are at Bowdoin were coming from these community-based college access programs. And I remember even thinking at the time like, man, where was my program? You know, that that would have been so cool. But I had some really interesting interactions with these organizations. And in fact, one of them right out of Chicago, Lincoln Limited, to give a shout out to Lincoln Limited, where I got a call one day from the counselor who literally was like, hey, Rowan, um, I think the young man's name was George. Like, when's the last time you, you saw George? And I was like, oh, I just had lunch with George, you know? And she, she was like, how is he doing? And I'm like, oh, um, I, think he's doing, I think he's doing great. Everything seems to be going well. And she goes, no, if we were up to him, he'd be back here in the South Side of Chicago um, tomorrow if we were up to, to him. And I, I thought I'd made these, I, I'd bonded with these students that they tell me this. But what I was really fascinated by was the fact mm. that it wasn't the mom who called me. It wasn't the college um, high school counselor who called me. It was this person from the college access program who had had my phone number. And again, the power of interpersonal relationships Mm. call me on the law and was like, and don't tell him that we even had this conversation, Mm. but just go connect with, um, connect with And I found that really fascinating. And so, uh, and David, we talked about this. So when I, when I decided I was going to go to graduate school, I wanted to center these kind of organization in my research. And that's what essentially happened. So I left after eight uh, eight years of going through undergrad and and experiencing, observing all of these different challenges that students were facing, um, and then coming up and see that there was these organizations that were interacting with the education Mm -hmm. system to disrupt these challenges or these obstacles that that, that often um, were stopping students from persisting. So I ended up going off to Seattle to go to grad school. And so that's how I made that transition from St. Thomas uh, (laughs) to to Maine, and then went off to the University of of Washington um, in Seattle to explore these programs. And while I was there, I suddenly realized, well, it's incredibly expensive because this organization only served so many students. For example, the organization that was in my study I think would enroll 63 students roughly every year. And it became a, it's incredibly expensive. So I thought, well, how do we, how do we do this? And you know, in this age of AI, and that we could actually build algorithms um, hmm. to actually help help students. Like I've been exploring this idea of how do we build a platform, for example. And that's that's the that's the iCore um exploration. Oh, I went sure to um and 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 have a, had a conversation with you know some 40 people or so. And that was one of the sort of emerging themes that came out of this was Mm, that um, we have to meet students where they already exist. And so maybe create something, but that's, that's the journey. Right. And so from that poem, you could actually, you you know, you can see for me, I've always been sort of driven by using my own personal story to improve the experience for students who are coming from similar backgrounds to mine.
0: I think what's so fascinating about your story, Rowan, is that like, you know here you are kid going through like you know real challenges coming up from St Thomas you make it to Maine it's hard you graduate college in eight years and then and then you you land at at Bowdoin, right like you cracked the code you got into like the a a an elite northeast institution doing higher ed higher ed work right and it, it and then I think what what's so interesting is that like You still saw the challenge of 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 even being in the co even having sort of gotten into the matrix, being welcomed in, right? Like you still saw some of those challenges and were not kind of. You saw how the 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 system was not designed to help people like you and and this kid like George, right? And and that that continued to sort of drive you forward, Uh, because I think for for many folks they would have been like, oh, I did it. I I'm I am i am in the ivory tower, right? All good, right? Like all of the investment on the last eight years, you know, fine, right? But for you, it is just still it, it continue to drive you forward. I think that's incredibly incredibly powerful.
3: I I, w- I want to say something about that, David, because one of the things that actually I'm impressed with Bowden with was that Bowden reached out to me while I was in grad school to help with a, a project. And you know, if anyone were to actually even just go on their website, it's called. Uh, the Thrive Program. Mm -hmm. And what we did as part of that exploration, we were trying to understand, like how do we replicate the community-based college access Mm. um, experience for students in these campuses that um, haven't been designed to actually serve students. And one of the things that we quickly found was a a sort of a deeper sense of access, right? And that's where my dissertation talked about from access to intervention, mm-hmm. where we suddenly realized that at a place like Bowden, there's an abundance of resources for students to actually access, to help them navigate whatever challenges that they're facing. But then we quickly realized that, yeah, but there was no one really in the space. The space wasn't set up to actually help students access. It was just assumed that because the resources are there, that the students actually know how to go about and do that and what we what we quickly figured out again it just always came back to relationships relationships are incredibly incredibly important and david i think i shared with you where i remember having an, an experience with like another student who were i think they were like on a crosswalk and they they, they found it like um a bit jolting that the person who like they were on the crosswalk and someone uh sort of came very close to the crosswalk before they stopped And so when she sort of locked gaze with this person, it was like, you know, one of those throw up your hands, like, you know, like, like, slow down. And the student came to me and it was automatically sort of framed in racism because the person on the other side of um, the windshield, you know, happened to be white. And I remember having a conversation with the student saying, listen, let's, but where where you are, let's acknowledge that, let's honor that. But let Mm -hmm. me just... Let me just give us sort of a hypothetical like what if what if you're in the south side of chicago and the same thing happened Mm -hmm. like and it just happened to be that person were black or person of color what would you say and i just have to be just very frank i hope you guys don't mind if if you do you're gonna have to um uh, edit this out but she was just like i guess i just call him an asshole, and i said (laughs) interesting right um and so we had that we had that conversation in my office but i share that to say that (laughs) i remember for the student yeah. It was just incredibly important for them to just even come to a space or have a space for them to actually process yeah. what had just happened yeah. for them. And I think that's something that we take for mm. granted where mm. it's not just about having the resources in the, in the space. It's actually having people in the space that can connect to very similar experiences that students are experiencing to make them feel comfortable. And then students will be able to show up to spaces. David, I told you this. Literally, a student said to me, Rowan, I'm not going to see a tutor. And this was at Bowdoin because I don't want to confirm what these people already think about. Right. Me. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like, that's really powerful. That's really profound yeah. that, like, yeah. this idea that, like, yeah, like to ask for help will somehow suggest that I was stupid. But what's really important in that this student, this is another student from Lincoln Limited, by the way, um, Raven, Simone Johnson literally said to me, Rowan, I was one of the best students in my high school. Like, I was the student that other students came to to get help. And now suddenly I'm at this school and I'm struggling to get a C. I'm struggling to get a C. And I I never know what it was like to get a C before. Mm. The trauma is actually multi-level. So it's like now this student's confidence Mm. is under assault. It's like, I've never been in a situation like this before. Mm. I've always been the person providing support. Now I have Mm -hmm. to go ask, but now I'm having to go ask a white person. Yeah, she had never been in a classroom with white students, yeah. and so now she's in also in a, a classroom at Bowden where she is like one of the black students. It's stereotype threat, you know. Um, yeah. and that's one of the things I realize even when we talk about like DEI work and DEI work in in these spaces, is that sometimes we just need to acknowledge like, listen, these things are multi-layered, and unless we give space unpack a lot of what we're dealing with, we're always going to find ourselves um, at this place where we, 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 we don't really understand. And I think for me, um, and, and I said this to you guys before we even got on the mic, this, this idea of having like interpersonal relationships is incredibly, incredibly important. And that's part of the work. It's like it's not so much to say, give a student a single mentor, right? That's what, that's what, that's what my, my challenge was is that as a first gen kid, from the islands, if I were introduced to a space where I had mentors who had actually gone to college, there's a conversation I can actually have about the different opportunities that that are available to me. But when you don't, when you don't have those mentors, and when we talk about in the context of even in Milwaukee, in a segregated and incredibly segregated society, and the way we we design schools structurally design schools, students just don't have a network of mentor. Um, to help him do that. And so it's not yeah. a singular one-on-one mentorship that we're actually really after. What we're after is network mentoring. Yeah, and that's what all of this essentially came out, what came mm. out of all of this for me. And it wow. was confirmed in the I-Corps program. Wow.
1: Mm. It's, it, it is that sort of bromide of it takes a village, right, Rowan? And what you're speaking to is like, and again, there's other resources notion of the, the amount of loose ties. Like if, right. if people have yes. greater amount of loose ties, that's more potentially you can call upon. And it's less less pressure on individuals. Ron, you're also bringing to mind the research of Dr. Judith Snow, uh, who I encountered in college. She was a person with disabilities, uh-huh. and she she did this exercise where she wrote, she had us draw three concentric circles like a target, right? You imagine like a target, and she goes, imagine in that first circle, the people that if if the meant the most to you, like if they were gone from your life, yes. it would wreck you, right? Now go go one more circle, and these are people you interact with daily. And, and you might be friends with them, but just but pretend you can only have five in your inner circle. Now, they, they don't make your inner circle, but they're important. And then she goes, look, look at that third circle, right? Go out. These are the people you transact with. Like you buy, you go to the gas station and you, and you buy a pack of gum or or you like see them at the bus stop, right? And her point was, for those people with disabilities, they don't get to Warden's circle. They have transactions all the time. Those are the people. And again, unless there are specific initiatives that introduce people to her that get to know her as a person to have an interpersonal relationship, they'll never get to one. And that was such a profound lesson for me. It's, It's just like, wow, like, I don't let people into circle one, just cause I'm a jerk. Sometimes there are some people don't even have access to get to people. Right. And, and I think these are, these are the lessons that are coming up from when you tell these stories, like the sort of these wisdoms that are overlapping simultaneously that there are folks that aren't, you know, marginally the term marginalized, not at the center. That's right. They have more difficult access to, to gain uh, connections with people who kind of know it, who kind of been there and that they, they could resonate with. And, and my last, and I've told this story a couple of times, but for you, Ron, I'll, I'll share it with you is that I was supposed to be a theater major at Northwestern, but the line to become a theater major was super long. Oh. You had to actually stand in line. And yeah. so I talked myself out of line. I said, there are no Filipino hamlets. There are no Filipino actors. This is 1992. Right. So I'm like, there are no, no. So I now I they're dropped. everywhere, Mac.
0: Now they're everywhere. Now <laughs> Matt, Matt, you're I'm you're Matt. a man out of time. Now, like, yeah.
1: hey. But I wasn't going to be the breakthrough person. I, I wasn't about that. I'm like, I, I care too much what people think about me. You know, I'm, right. I'm a sensitive flower, right? Like, no, oh, I can't <laughs> take rejection, right? I can't do that. I didn't have it. So I jumped into another line, Rowan, because I just didn't, I didn't anticipate there'd be enough people who look like me that got my deal in it. So, I mean, this resonates. I, at least I, I'm just communicating
3: to see if this is tr- tracking but, what you're talking but, about. Well, I think we have to emphasize that, right? And this is part of the, part of the story. Like I remember yeah. to t- tie back even to, to, to Megan, I think one of the things that even came to mind to me as I, was telling the story and being in a room where multiple other people were sharing the stories. Like until you share your story, you don't really matter. Like that's where you matter. You matter mm-hmm. in your st- matter when happens in in the story that 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 mm-hmm. that you that you you tell. So so Mac, as I'm like listening to you tell that story, it's just really for important for us to emphasize that because that's happening every day. Mm-hmm. Like they're like women showing up in like stimulated fields who's mm-hmm. like, it's like a self selection out. right Mm. it's like it's like confirming what was already i guess sort of expected and that these things are set up to i think sometimes these systems are set up to do. when you talk about oh let's let's weed out the people who don't really want to be here and it's like no i don't think we're weeding out the people who don't really want to be here i think the system is actually set up to weed out the people sometimes who we don't really actually want (laughs) uh, uh, you know here in in these spaces frankly man so like yeah and what happens then, It's it, 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 it has a it has a long-term effect because had you gone in the effect, what we don't know is maybe you'd have met a bunch of other Filipino kids who suddenly, yeah. you know, being able to see themselves as a theater mm-hmm. major because, yeah. yeah, you were. Yeah. Yeah. We don't yeah. know. Yeah That's right. We don't. <laughs> That's,
0: why so that, That's why
1: this is the darkest <laughs> time on earth. That's why
3: this is the darkest time We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> You know, we, we don't, but we can hypothesize that, though. We can, <laughs> like, we know, that. We, we know that. We know that, like, mentorship, and again, it's, it's a lot of times, um, you know, I, I, I say to people, we, we are visual learners, we are auditory learners. Above all, we are emotional mm-hmm. um, learners. And so until we can find a connection to something, it oftentimes doesn't really have value. And that connection to that thing is oftentimes to another person. And, so, like, to your point, like, even weak ties, Right, like yeah. sometimes literally just showing up and seeing yourself reflected back to you by the, just the physical appearance of someone in a space can mm-hmm. really go along mm-hmm. a long way. And, and and the story that I've I've shared to begin with, I I can't pretend that like I didn't want to quit many a times, you know. Like, mm-hmm. but I all I oftentimes always centered myself in that very story that. Um, that I shared with you guys on the onset. Mm. I, I'll even share this, like, because I'm, I'm comfortable be here now, like, <laughs> <laughs> towards the end of my dissertation, when I was yeah. writing my dissertation, I wrote yeah. part of my dissertation in Milwaukee. And that's part of the reason why Milwaukee is there to me too. Like, um, the last chapter or so of my dissertation was actually written here. And, mm. and part of the reason I actually came here was because I have these really good friends who I met in Brunswick, Maine. One of them was my colleague at Bowdoin. Um, his name is Elmer Moore
0: and now now the now the leader over at WIDA
3: that's yeah. right you know what yeah. I mean Elmer yeah. is like like I think like Elmer like like one of these Elmer should like, Evan should actually like make mentor Elmer to become the governor of um, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in Wisconsin yeah. um, you know Elmer is an, an incredibly charismatic um, really kind um, and well-meaning uh, a person I you know I think he's really about good stuff but it was because of Elmer and Nicole um, that I ended up here, and I ended up here because my, scene, uh, my 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 final year in my doctoral program, my nephew back in St. Thomas, my nephew um, was gone down. I mean, he because of hu- Hurricane uh, Maria, mm-hmm. my sister mm-hmm. moved um, uh, with with a brother of ours in 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 Orlando, six months into Orlando. He's violently gone down. And mm-hmm. that was incredibly traumatizing for me. I share mm-hmm. it to say, it brought me back to that high school experience, mm. you know, and I think that for me was sort of this renewed purpose of what I was supposed to be doing, mm. um, you know, uh, in this in in this world. And so, this idea of of finding opportunities for young people who are navigating environments that, when I said they, they slip and fall into the only visible choices, like mm. we have to account for, for for this stuff. We we just we just like oh well work hard and it's going to happen. Man, mm. I've worked I work my tail off mm. um, and I still feel like here I am still trying to like make sense of like mm. how do I find funding to do this work that I'm, I, I'm trying to do. Um, a big surprise for me when I was in grad school was literally like, like how is it that I told this story in my goal statement, my personal statement and yet I found it incredibly challenging to get uh, financial support from the University of Washington while I was there. It was only until I graduated that I think the university seemed to take any sort of interest in, in the work that, 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 that I was doing. So again, talking about accessing resources, a lot of that has to do with relationships and mentorship. And if you don't have sometimes people in spaces just telling you how to go about doing this stuff, then there you are. You're sort of stuck. And it's not a matter of you not having talent. It's a matter of you not having access to other human beings, to understand how to go through, go 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 about and access the resources that you need to get done the things you want to get done.
0: So, so as you mentioned, we 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 went through I-Corps as well, and yep. you know, I I think we we had a we had a more kind of a we had a, a bunch of different for the listeners listening at home. The I-Corps program helps you sort of like sharpen a hypothesis you might have about a business proposition. And so for the imagine team we had a a number of different hypotheses and all of them were very ephemeral um and one of them was this idea that like because of the of the segregation and the divisions and the sense of scarcity in milwaukee that like the ability for collaboration or the sharing of resources is going to be incredibly difficult and we require an organization potentially or, or some something to kind of connect and sort of like in some ways, like kind of create like a lobby for people to bump into each other so that people can develop networks, can develop more, more, you know, um, just more, more sharing, more, more, more ability of, of, of like, right. you know, stuff that, that thing that you're talking about, right? More connection. Um, it was hard for us going through the program to actually k- kind of like either confirm or deny this because I think people have mm-hmm. a self selection bias of like, well, in my own personal network, I have a bunch of people that, that I talk to and you know so on and so forth. So I I, I sort of frame that up and sort of put it back to you, right? As somebody who has, is, is kind of like seems seems incredibly attuned to to this to this question and, and a question that we have about like connection or lack of connection. Mm-hmm in Milwaukee and due to the segregation, the siloing and all the other stuff, how do we deal with it? <laughs> Big question, my like $64,000 question.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, I I, I mean, I love that question. So let's even frame it in um, segregation. Like let's, yeah. let's frame it in, in that sense. So if we frame it in that sense and we even think about stuff like redlining, mm-hmm. if we think structurally how these highways were built, it means that there was something incredibly intentional about what we were doing in segregating communities, right? right. We still see this stuff play out sort of every, every day. Like when, 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 if someone from, for example, Whitefish Bay say, I have a number of people in my network that I could have a conversation with about this. And a kid from the North side say, I, I don't have, like, I didn't have anyone in my network to to really help me navigate these things. In fact, there's a real story that came out of my my, um, my exploration where I had a young man say to me, Rowan, I had schools in like Ohio, Iowa, um, North, Northern Illinois, I think Minnesota, that were recruiting him as a track athlete. Like, but he's like, I never even got any sort of like materials or ever, had ever really met anyone from UWM. Mm-hmm. which is a school right around the way. So why is that? I think you could even some, tie that back to some of the segregation that we are talking about, where now in this sense, it could be unintentional, but we're not, we're not interacting with all communities um, in an equitable fashion. We just, we're not doing it. And that's what, part of what segregation actually breathed. It's It, it breeds divisions, right? And so if you have people in those spaces who've only operated in the sort of majority culture, mm. right? These, these institutions are going to continue to reproduce themselves. That's literally the definition of social reproduction. Mm. And segregation is a big driver of that. So to answer your question, how do we do that? In the most simplest of, of, of terms, we, we actually begin to be a little bit intentionally inclusive, just like we were intentionally um, uh Segregating communities, I think we can be a bit intentional about how we actually bring folks and communities and community stories into into the fold in a way that we haven't actually done before. Um, I think this is talking about even like at at the Milwaukee Public Museum. Um, We can see like when you go through the streets of Milwaukee is a really good example you go through the streets of Milwaukee. And the story there, the sort of the implicit story there, is that almost as if only a certain population of people mattered in Milwaukee. Like, that's, that's what it means to be a Milwaukeean, right? Like, I think I saw uh, there was this, like, a standalone piece of um, a Black couple who had became— um, there were slaves and they and they became free that that's the story that we are telling in the streets of mm. of Milwaukee like we we are all sort of other representations they're not in that they're not in that space so i said to folks if if we want to understand why um, a lot of folks of colors aren't actually showing up to the museum it's because they don't necessarily see themselves represented at the museum and if we want to talk about it at an international level right for example if we if we um, find ourselves going through the Africa gallery, um, I think even in the case of labor and how we actually talk about the people groups, the language is incredibly outdated and offensive, uh, in many ways. And all of that is that the unconscious bias that we actually see in the world. Like, we take that... We take those things for granted. Mm-hmm. When I just said we are visual learners and we are emotional learners. And so when we go in and we are connecting with these things and we are internalizing these things in many ways, for example, if you are a white person, even if you are a black person, a person of color, when you've been told a particular stereotype about a particular group of people and you walk into a space and the space merely confirms it, well, Mm. there you go. These things will play out um, in a sort of a natural way to reproduce society as it's been. So this idea that like, well, we segregate because we wanna be with our own when, well, we've only been socialized to wanna to be with our own. Otherwise it becomes a very sort of hostile experience for, mm-hmm. for other folks. So for, for us to actually make deeper, more meaningful connections is that we, have, we, we have to allow for all the stories to actually be told and to let the people who've experienced those stories actually tell, Those stories and not let those stories be dictated by like someone else and we tend to see that a lot like like voices like a single voice speak for all of us oftentimes and i I think that's just inappropriate Mm.
1: you know ron was what i'm thinking about when you talk about segregation too is i'm wondering the sort of cult of efficiency in our culture and what i mean by that is that efficiency means like i gotta get this right it's got to mm. be quick. It's got to be. So what What I think, what I, I hypothesize that that doesn't allow for complexity. That's right. That doesn't allow for uniqueness, That's right? right? We're, we're constant. When you say stereotyping, I'm late, I'm like, I'm just sorting as fast as I can right. to make sure I have the cleanest engagement possible and quick in and out, right? Transaction, boom. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you speak to is what segregation, if we didn't have segregation, we're actually inviting a lot of times where we don't have efficient engagements right? Because I, I got to take you at face, I got to take you beyond face value. That's right. Because there's more to you beyond what's at the top of the iceberg, right? right? And gosh, to hold all your complexity, that's just a lot for me to take in right now, bro. I'm just trying to get on my day, <laughs> right? And so, so I think, I think I'm, my wondering is how do we equip ourselves yeah. for the ability to handle other people's complexity, which is, which is, and I'll say at a base level, I love this. When my daughter, who's, who's 14 years old, you know, and, she tells me about the pronouns. Right. And I'm a gen Xer. Like I have to do my best to take a deep breath and go, let me sit with this is real. As opposed to like, wait, you you want me to use what word now? Huh? Like that, that's one side of me. It's like, bro, I've been trained and I'm trying, but, but like, I'll miss it. Right. I'll miss a friend of hers pronouns. And I'll, and I'll not, I'll use their dead pro, you know, their dead name or something. Right. And, and she just hammers me. Yes. <laughs> She's like, bam, yes. you know, like, like yes. an eighth grader should. You know, no yeah. nuance whatsoever. <laughs> she just goes, "Come on, Dad," and I'm like, "Right, right, right." You know, and and I know like, I I needed to be like, "Yo, you need to give me a little slack because I'm trying." And when you pound me, right, then I don't even want to try. And but again, it's a micro it's a micro she, example, right? But I think what you're suggesting, Rowan, is like now multiply that by millions yeah. all the time yes. and that that and again I'll, i'm up for the battle right because i own it and i was like yeah i'll keep trying but not everybody wants to take that and and admittedly there are some days where i'm like man i, I just man i just because <laughs> yeah. i'm just yeah. getting my ass kicked everywhere else i just all right, kiddo like and sometimes it goes like ah kids these days like it comes out that way it's yeah. like you know in my day just listening to a racer got my ass kicked like now now what? Like, wait, come on, man. Like, you gotta, come. anyway, I don't know if that resonates with your own, but oh, that- I think there's something about this complexity. Our do you need me to, hold- to
0: share with her that you're Captain Woke around the office?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't
3: know about Admiral that.
1: Woke?
0: Maybe
3: yeah. I don't Major know woke? about Captain or- yeah, listen, still Ensign, David, come on. Woke. Like, we know Mac is that dude. I'm telling you the first time I'm like, I met you, David. And I was like, yo, and David, I, I do have to shout you out, give you a shout out on, um, uh, on, on this podcast to say like, Right away when I met you, I was like, I just really appreciate how you showed up to me, right? So, like, naturally, what that led me to do, and again, talking about connections, it's like, we didn't really get real deep there. I mean, we we you know we got in something, but I was like, this is a dude who I actually want to have, um, I, I want to get to know. And then we, we, when we sat in, what is it, no, uh, is it no ca- cafe? No, no um, studios, yeah, the cafe, no yeah. No studios. Yeah. And the next thing you know, like, we were like, yo. I think we could sit here and talk for like three more hours, but we got to, you know, we, we, got to go. But I said that because then I went on the website be like, okay, imagine MKE. And then I, like, again, I said, I saw Matt there and I was like, yo, I met this cat before. And this dude, like, Matt, you take up a room, bro. Like you like, like, you take up a room, bro. Like you like, like I remember coming into, like, I was like, yo, who is this cat? Like, if I'm ever like, and here I am doing a podcast with you, and I don't know if you can tell, but I'm extra M. So you being the, <laughs> the work person around campus, I mean, around, around the office, doesn't surprise me um, in the least, man. But to that point, I just, I, I want to say like, I think we talked about this before we even got on, we, we got yeah. recording, but it's for me, it's to change that framing of like, even like that wokeness to like, we yeah. talked about like that, that, those blind spots, because that's yeah. what that's yeah. what your daughter essentially was calling out. And I don't yeah. know, if yeah. if you haven't been called out in in life, like I'm, then you're not. Yeah, you're not showing up. Like you're, you're not, not trying. Not, you're, not trying. Exactly. You're, not you're not trying. You're not trying. You're, you're not, not trying. showing up. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Like the, the the sort of the natural reaction because it's incredibly uncomfortable yeah. is to be like, like what are you talking about? Like like <laughs> like first of all, I didn't mean it that way. Well, yeah. Yeah, here's the truth. Yeah. You said it that way, so yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. And how it landed. All...
1: this is how it landed. That's this right. is how exactly. landed. This is how it landed. You know
3: what I mean? So like, you got to lean in back. You know what I say? Like a lot of my work is around young people and it's, it's the place where I get most humble. Like, yeah. Like I'll say something and be like, yo, what? Like I had one time my niece was like, Rowan, well, like no one says that anymore. And I was like, hey. <laughs> like, I think I said, I, I used some slang and, she, and I was like, cause you, the slang you guys use, I got all, I got all defensive about it. And, and, and one of the things I quickly realized, I was like, "Yo, this is why this is why this stuff is so so humbling and so amazing." Yeah. Is that like you could honor your generation because it's incredibly important. That's the wisdom mm-hmm. that you bring to a conversation, right? Particularly yeah. when you're talking to a young person, mm-hmm. but you're not living as a teenager right now. Yeah. That's so that right. means mm-hmm. you also have to to listen. Mm-hmm. And, I, and one of the things I I talk about, like in, in my in my in my research work, was I use the framing of a bridge, right? So. I conceptualize, like, what, is, what does a bridge look like in, in human form? And in human form, the bridge is that relationship. Mm. So, if we want to truly understand each other, like, it means that, like, us building here, it might be, like, I might have to walk back through Max life in Chicago, mm. um, David's life out in, 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 in Cali, like, walk through your world to get a sense of your experiences, and then you do the same thing on my side. Hmm. And when we come back, that's the bridge. And when we come back together, yeah. there's a better understanding of the experiences that we both have been through. And so when we show up to each other, we show up to each other with a certain kind of, a different kind of empathy, if hmm. you will, man. Yeah. We're like, nah, I, I, I get why this person shows up in, in the world that, that way. So like, I oftentimes see too where i see these very uncomfortable situations across gender, across race where, people are even afraid to speak or make mistakes. Here's the fact. All of us are sort of at the will of like the society that has actually socialized us mm. to see things the way we see things. Like you can't not. So we have a lot of unlearning to do. Yeah. And so if we can somehow allow for like that grace. Now, it doesn't mean mm. that you're staying there all the time. I had a professor in grad school who gave me some really great advice. He's like, Rowan, if you keep bumping up in the same place all the time, it's time for you to go, right? <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? It's time for you to say like, okay, clearly me and this person, like we're just yeah. that, we're not going to see, we're not going to see either to I eye. And it's not really just even about that. It's about how do we do it without it always feeling confrontational? Yeah. Right? And I think like, just as much as we show up talking, we need to show up listening. And I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of us do that. Like I literally see this, even as across like when I listen to stuff about critical race theory, I'm like, All it's telling us is that we're not telling the whole of history. Mm. Right? Like we can talk about Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Jefferson as a president, but we could talk if if we don't talk about the full um the the, 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 the full, I guess, like history of who he was, then actually I guess we can say we're telling a half lie or half truth, but we're not telling, we're not telling Mm. the the whole truth. And so Mm. if we're really gonna do do these things any sort of justice we just have to be honest about like what's, what's happening, um, in the world. I say to people all the time, like I, I have experiences where I'm like, yeah, I'm not all the way innocent in that, but it's a percentage Mm. thing, right? It's it's like, well, (laughs) it is, you know what I mean? Like we should always be putting weight on things as opposed to just like binary, like, well, this and that it's like, no, all these things are happening all at at once. Um, and we just need to sometimes to weigh them to make sense of like whether we stay or whether we go. Um, and that's, a lot of times, that's how I, I, I tend to do things. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this thing happened once. This thing happened twice. And I'm paying attention to how I feel. And depending on how I feel, I have to go, I I I I stay. But it doesn't need, I don't need to necessarily leave and it be in beef. It just means that we just, I'm just going to go in my right. separate way. And, you know. I, I, I'm i struck by, by something
0: someone told me recently about like interpersonal interactions, right? That this person said to me, she was like, you can only take care of your side of the street right like the the other the other people have to take care of their side of the streets and like you can only make sure that you show up in the way that you are the best person in your the way that you the best person you can be right the person you want to be and my response to this person was yeah but all these streets are in our neighborhood and if somebody's street is messed up i need to yes. say something about that <laughs> no 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 you don't you don't get it right you, you can yeah. only Take care of your side of the street. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I'm also like, man, but we all, we all live in the neighborhood and that feels, that feels like that tension, right? Like you can only, you can only sort of like share and kind of be, be as, as authentic as yourself and hope that other people are also doing the same as well. Right. right. That, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, that's the balance, right? That, that, that's the work.
3: Yeah. It's hard, man. Cause we're just, I think we're just the way things are designed. We're just, it's designed to sort of pit you know, we're, we're sort of put against each other. Um, yeah. And I think it's, 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 it's so unnecessary. I think, I, I, I think for all of us here, like that experience that I shared at, at the onset, man, having navigated so many different spaces, it's something that, like, I don't know. I can't be like, well, that was always sort of intrinsic in, in mm-hmm. Roman to be able to sort of create space. It's like, nah, like I suddenly like being in Standish, Maine, like that's, that's rural America, right? So like I can sit and tell you, well, I had these negative experiences as a black guy. But here's the fact: I had more positive experiences um, in that space than I actually had um, negative experiences. And what it did, it, it, it gave me some insight into what it might look like for someone growing up in a trailer park, for example, right? Like, like, like what that perspective looked like. I had I had one time I had a good friend of mine. She, I met her in graduate school. And she's from upstate New York. And she said, Rowan, I don't believe that my mom, and she's, she's white, she's like white female. She said, I don't believe my mom ever made more than maybe like $15,000, $20,000 a year when I was growing up. And she's like, my mom is a good person, but I'd hear my mom say certain things. And one time she literally said, she's like, my mom is like, I don't care about these people in the inner city with, the, with their, the, their complaints. And why, why should they be getting more stuff when I'm up here struggling? Mm. And I thought, for the daughter, the daughter's like, take it into like well, mom. This stuff is like really layered. Like we're talking <laughs> about like history, but that she doesn't have that education. We haven't, we actually haven't even educated people fully in school yeah. about the history. So in the moment, it's hard for her to really fully show up in any sort of sympathy. Not because she's so much a bad person. It's also yeah. she does, she just doesn't have almost even the education in many ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? This friend of mine, I'm telling you, is a first gen kid who went to Cornell. Like for her family, it's like, yo, know, you went to Cornell. She had, even coming back from Cornell, she had challenges in her own family because she would show up trying to actually sometimes have a certain kind of conversation and it would turn into like, oh, here's the college. Here's the college, <laughs>
1: yeah. Right?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of quickly denouncing. Um, and and what's, what you see in that is it's, it's, it's insecurities. Um, but I, I, had, I had that experience. Like, I, I, I've lived a life where I've been fortunate to know people across groups, man. And I'm telling you, there's something about when you sit and you listen to someone's story. Or I hear, I'll hear people say, oh, that's a specific culture. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a lot of cultures. That's- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we have, we intersect, We in a, like, I hear somebody say something like, oh, yeah, and, you know, and, like, for Asians, for example, the parents are, like, really strict about school. And I'm like, yo, I know a lot of African cats. I know a lot of Caribbean cats. Let me tell you, that. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like real. Almost- yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it's like no. Yeah. Like we have yeah. far more in common than we actually have. Yeah. Like these differences, but I think sometimes we, I think we overly sometimes um, focus there, and we just don't even we don't even get to see each other.
1: Yeah. Or, or possibly in that example, Rowan, what would it mean for us to to actually hold that Caribbean parents, Black parents do hold that high for their kid, right? Like we we omit that because right. th- there is a purpose to to making Asians a model minority, right? Like that uh, yes. that serves something, right? So That's to your right. point, it's like. Yeah, th- this is more common than not, but even the omission helps support yeah. other larger stories right. that, that separate us or help or, or help support a system, uh, enact, uh, reify a system that benefits some right now and all
3: that. And we don't have to go down this whole, but like, just <laughs> that's another pot. That's Let's another. Let's hold that for a second, though. Like, yeah. I guarantee it wasn't an Asian person who came up with that sort of right. <laughs> model. <laughs> no, no yeah, no, yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, where, where did that come from? Yeah. And, and those are all those things. It's like, is to stop and pause and sort of investigate um, those sort of things, and and that was actually literally designed to again to put to put people against pit, against each other. Yeah, you know? against it, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, man, I
1: I don't want the conversation to end, so that it's a good invitation <laughs> to have another one. But you know, we we do want to put a twist tie on this one because uh, you know the podcast place makes it pay by the minute, uh, but. uh <laughs>
0: Or our producers are gonna are gonna producer, like yell at
1: yeah, us producer, at our staff meetings. <laughs> um, so so Rowan, we're really curious, man. We, we Dave and I have the power to make our guest the czar of arts and culture for the yeah. city. It only lasts as long as this podcast. So, Rowan,
3: given given what you shared with us, what would be a policy you'd pass in that? Position? I would love to see um, if I could pass a policy. I, I just want to say this too. Like I when I when I was at um, MPM, I got a, I got a, a letter from, from the mayor and I was incredibly, incredibly touched sort of like welcoming me, um, to the city. Mac, when I was, when I first met you, uh, at UWM, I think part of that conversation was about how underfunded, um, cultural events, whatever it may be, the arts, how underfunded that was. So if I could be, if I could be like, I guess, what would it be like emperor or (laughs) president or mayor (laughs) or governor, uh, and have the people behind me, man, it would be that to pass some sort of fiscal policy that support, um, you know, arts and culture. Um, it would be something I think that would like, how do we actually find funding, um, across people groups like those folks who haven't generally been able to tell their story how do we find um, the money to to do that and I, and that and that money exists and then again to tie it back to to npm i think we talked about this when we talk about culture we oftentimes don't actually talk about resources yeah and so at MPM, there's a project where um working on case and labels to update the case and labels but it isn't because npm doesn't want to do it it's because NPM doesn't even have the resources um, required to actually do that, to do that work. And so the lack of resources sort of maintain an old culture that's right in place. And so if we, if I could really change, if I had a wish and, I, and, I, and that, that, that could come through, man, it would literally be like to, to write fiscal um, policy and implement them to, 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 do, to do some of this work that we need to, to do to change um, our rich culture in here in Milwaukee.
1: Well, the power is going to fade, but you know the beautiful—the <laughs> beautiful thing about it is the work will remain. Like, hey, we're on board with that. Let's let's do it after the call. Let's keep it going because I think we joined in this. Well, my next- take—that's why we were why we were
0: organized. That's why, why we exist. Why, yeah, why that's our why organization exist. launched.
1: <laughs> I gotta say, Roman, man, it, it's it such a joy to connect with you. You know, on this on this in this podcast, I, and and one of the things that I'm struck by as as we sort of wrap up is that. You know, you've been talking about these terms of like diversity, inclusion, equity. It's like that, it's the words of the day right now, right? It's, it's hot right now. And I think what really resonates for me when you talk about your journey, it's the sense of belonging and the experience. Like that's what it is. That's right. Like that's its tangible, that's right? right? And, and the trick is, it's in a way, it's sounded subjective. It's hard to put that on like a curve, you know, that we could do it kind of, right? But that sounds like the work that you're trying to do is making it tangible and making it more real so that we can all talk about it and we can all create more policy. If I say create laws in the ways we are with each other so that those experiences, more people can feel like they're centered and more people feel like they're that's, what's, that's what I'm struck with. That's it.
3: And, 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 and that's it. Belonging literally is an experience um, yeah. and it's not monolithic either, right? Like It's like literally, yeah. so if, if I walk into a space and I'm, I see myself represented in that space, there's my feeling of a sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, even you guys walk into the space, the same thing. Like, so it doesn't have to, like, sometimes I think people think it's like this, this fixed thing when it's like, no, um, all of us could actually experience a sense of belonging in any yeah. particular space, so long as we can actually yeah. see ourselves um, in, that, in, in, in that space. And that, be, that sense of belonging is literally an experience. Yeah. And we can create it for multiple different people.
0: It's incredible Ron how can our audience find you to learn more about your work and and, and everything else if they want
3: to get in touch um the, the place i'm my most active is on um, LinkedIn but like i I'm gonna you know spend some time here uh, building up my my website a bit more um, so maybe I can come back on this podcast and and, and, and have another conversation about. Um, <laughs> we would love um, it. Oh, we would love do. it. What do you mean? What do you mean? Have another pod? Yeah.
1: We're gonna have a. We're gonna have a podcast line. You're, you're doing right. a new show. Yeah. You're gonna, we want a show. We want the wrong Garnett show. That's what I, I'm calling it now. This is a backdoor pilot to well, Rome I'm Garnett for show. I'm for it because this. We gotta have more of this conversation, man. Yeah. I, what, what is it? what is a belonging Milwaukee look like? I'm, I'm pitching That's it right, right now. We gotta, we gotta awesome. get you to do this more because. Yeah, Belonging I, I, in I gotta Milwaukee. Belonging in Milwaukee with, with Dr. G. Granddad. Let's do it. Let's with do Dr. it. Dr. G. Belonging in Milwaukee to Dr. G. There it is. Just in a pitch. Hey, let, yeah. Thank you so much. I am serious that that was a backdoor pilot for the belonging dr. with dr g belonging with dr g belonging in milwaukee with dr g on belonging with dr g that's like
0: the that's like our version of on being with Krista Tippett.
1: <laughs> yeah except ours is cooler <laughs> oh i just alienated a lot of her base by saying that out loud all right anyway <laughs> it's such a joy i mean it, like i said we talked offline about it that was juicy we were bringing some stuff back into it and i I, I'm just like so lucky that we have him in town um, to to keep thinking about this work. There was th- so that interview went about an hour ish. Yeah.
0: Um, there was 45 other minutes that yeah. didn't make it either because we didn't press record or <laughs> or we stopped recording and then just kept on going. We just
1: kept on going. We just kept on going. And it yeah, was,
0: and just- one thing that I'll bring back that, that that he said off off mic that we that didn't make it into the interview, but um, you know this he he said that. Belonging sits within culture, right? Like that's how you sits inside culture. That was this quote: yeah. "Belonging sits inside culture," and like, I think that's part of the 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 mission of our of our organization, right? Which is how do we ensure that arts and culture is more central to the 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 essential um, workings of our city, and how does the culture of our city and its organizations and its artists really begin to reflect? Um, the, the residents and the artists and the creatives and all of that. Right. Because that actually is a thing that's going to start to drive towards belonging. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was cool. Um, and I'm looking forward to more conversations and I'm looking forward to hopefully doing more work, um, and seeing how we can continue that kind of work, uh, not just in our arts and cultural institutions in town, but just as the city as a whole, right. We'll see it when more people see that they belong in the city. Um, and that's, that's what I'm excited about to continue that with him. You know, Dave, you know who else I'm really excited about? Who, Matt? Uh, our listeners are growing, uh, the growing hashtag Imagination. Uh, thanks for listening y'all. If you enjoyed this episode and like to support the pod, share it around. Post about it on social. Uh, if you're on Apple, leave a rating and review or contact us directly and talk about it with us at pod and imaginemke.org.
0: Imagine This Podcast is a team effort produced, edited, and hosted by MacArthur Antigua, David Lee, and Lindsay Sheridan, and our newest member of our production team, who's going to yell at us when she has to listen to this, hour-long interview, Elizabeth Gasparka. And of course, this is the flagship of the Imagine MKE podcast network. The podcast theme was written and performed by Bobby Drake.
1: Bobby D. Make sure you also listen to back episodes of Black Imagination and Arts Forward MKE, all of which can be found at imaginemke.org backslash podcasts.
0: To catch the latest from Imagine MKE is about Twitter and Instagram at Imagine underscore MKE or Facebook at Imagine MKE, Or you can go to ImagineMKE.org and sign up for the amplifier at bi-weekly email update that just went out two minutes ago.
1: Two minutes ago. You catch Thanks up, again guys. and
0: we will catch you next Tuesday when we have another guest coming in to talk about the great arts and culture scene here in Milwaukee.
3: Bye.